Hello everyone, welcome back to another installment of Discuss Foundation. Uh, this week we are going to be doing episode 7 of season 1. M what is it, Memories and Martyrs? Mysteries and Martyrs. Mysteries and Martyrs. And uh, Brian, can you tell us who directed and wrote this episode, please? It was directed by Jennifer Fong and it was written by Caitlin Saunders. Jennifer Fong also directed uh, last week's episode, Death and the Maiden. Awesome. Um, so what we're going to do, guys, on the podcast, as always, is we're going to go ahead and start with a general overview of our thoughts on the episode as far as, that, you know, if we liked it, uh, where we rank it for the season, kind of general um, thoughts there. And then we're going to go into a scene by scene recap of the show and kind of give our thoughts a little more specifically and uh, kind of break down things we liked and didn't like about the episode there. And then finally, we're going to go into predictions about where we think the show is going to go and uh, in the following episodes. Before I kick it over to Brian so we can get into this recap portion in, in our uh in our general overview. Um, I do want to give a quick disclaimer that me and Brian have not read Isaac Asimov's Foundation um, series, so we're not really coming at it as a comparison to the books or anything. We don't really know how it relates to the books or vice versa. Uh, if you guys are looking for a more dense kind of book heavy um, content in this regard, there are some other podcasts like Apple Podcasts, and I think the Stars End podcast does that as well. So you guys can always check that out. The other thing too is guys, we are available on all the major podcasting networks at this point. So if you want to listen to this podcast, um, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, uh, Stitcher, anything like that, uh, we are available there as well if you search Discuss Foundation. Uh, make sure to try to support the show best you can on whatever platform that you're doing, whether that's rating it or sharing it on social media, all that kind of stuff helps. Uh, we really appreciate that. Uh, with that all being said, though, Brian, what were your thoughts on Episode 7 of Season 1? Um, I liked the episode. There was a lot of good things that they did. They went over a lot of interesting stuff. They answered a lot of questions. Uh, the way that mm -hmm. they answered the questions were kind of unique. Uh, but at the same time, there was also a lot of stupid mistakes that they kind of did. So it was a weird episode where there was a lot of things going on. And each thing was so different that you could kind of like absorb yourself into like the different sections because each one's leading a different narrative. So that was a really cool um, take that like they've already been able to split up how the story is being developed, being told. and Overall, like I, I liked where the direction was going. There was just some things in the episode. I was kind of like, oh, it's, it seems kind of like, oh, but that was just me. What about you? Good, sir. Right. What, what were your thoughts of the episode? Yeah. So uh, I actually, this is by far, by far my favorite episode of the season. Okay. Uh, so far. I, I, I absolutely love this episode. Um, I think it's the best directed episode. I think it's the best looking episode probably. And yeah. I think... Um, while I think we are going to get into some stuff that I have some nitpicks about later, we may have kind of the same um, feelings on certain plot points potentially, but uh, I think this one, the writing was a solid, mainly yeah. because it's a lot of plot and not a lot of character stuff, which I think they've we've talked about, we, they've struggled in yeah. past episodes with. Um, it's a lot of plot in this one, um, and we'll definitely dive into some of that stuff when we hit into our recap, but for my money, this is uh, easily the best episode of the season for me. Um, it, it, the pacing was, uh, was the best in this one. There was, there was a lot going on and then visually yeah. it looked amazing. There were some really good performances in it. I just thought it really hit on all cylinders for me. Um, but let's go ahead and get into the recap here. Yes. So we opened the episode on Salvor's ship, or uh, I guess it's Hugo's ship that Salvor's now piloting. Yeah. Um, yep. and we get this really cool kind of, uh, kind of, uh, like world building moment where they talk about. Uh, Hugo's past mining palladium on the mining um, on, in the asteroid belt, uh, I guess yeah. is what they were talking about, mining palladium. And then they also talked about um, why he's not, because apparently the when the Anacreon and Despin attacks happened, uh, the uh, 
empire stopped giving him tech and then all of a sudden those closed and he had to he had to not go there i thought that was a cool little world building moment where i was like oh it's like whenever you show that like the universe had a past and there's like a history and an industry yeah. and all that kind of stuff i was like oh that's a cool world building moment and then um it goes right into we we first we see invictus for the first time yes. uh and uh what did you think about that reveal of uh of invictus and that scene and and everything i thought this scene was really cool it was it was great that they set up a lot of stuff like what happened to uh Thespin, like why that faltered and and why some of the other stuff has faltered like because we knew about iraq uh iraq and uh, i started saying anacrian yeah, yeah. we know about anacrian that like it would just pretty much like blew up you just brian just watched dune if you guys can't tell he's saying arrakis <laughs> yeah no i am i also just bought a doom uh board game so yeah okay yeah so got, that makes so, sense like, arachnus has been on my mind uh but no yeah, yeah. it was just really unique because you got to see more stuff like how are they profitable with this why did they stop doing that because the mining thing was a huge thing that they brought up in episode one so mm. the simple fact that they did do the callback of like hey this is the reason why Thespin pretty much is now a a dead city, a dead planet, a dead culture. So it was good. Mm-hmm. I liked it a lot. The visuals were probably the best in this scene. Like when they do the spacewalk, we get to see a lot of cool visuals, a lot of the space mm-hmm. stuff. The space base, the mining base was really cool. So this, I do agree with you. Like visually, this episode is beautifully done. A lot mm-hmm. of great, a lot of great stuff on there. Um, the thing I didn't like, and I know what's going to happen. Like we could say this for prediction, mm-hmm. is uh, they lose a member in the spacewalk. And yeah, yeah, I think we. I think the prediction on that one too. Yeah. Yeah. So we save that for later. Um, and we could talk about that down the road, but yeah, no, yeah. I, I like the scene. I, it was, it set the, it did set up Invictus, how dangerous it is. And the visuals mm-hmm. were beautiful. So yeah, I liked yeah. it. So I loved, um, so first the kind of stuff that I had in my notes, the, the Invictus is the world killer. I like the little, um, again, the world building stuff in this one. Um, and, and I'll talk about it in other in other scenes as well. But I felt like the world building stuff was very efficient and it was very subtle. It was like it wasn't like hammering it into your head. It was just kind of like conversational stuff where you're like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. And it kind of makes you think about the world. She talks about how it was the crown jewel of the empire prior to the Cleons. And I had to look at the captions because I didn't really make out what she was saying. But it was Torellian, Torellian's yeah. fleet, uh, who I'm assuming was the empire before uh, Cleon was. Um, and it was a girl, it was a woman in the, in the show. This is another one I had a sneaking suspicion of when they said, when she was saying she, you know, and stuff, I was like, I wonder yeah. if they gender swapped that character for the show, because I don't know that, I don't know that in Isaac Asimov's that he would have, like, I, I think what people, when people talked about the books, they said that there weren't a lot of prominent female characters in there. Yeah. So this might've been something that they gender swapped to make her Torellian or whatever, a female character. Cause why not? I'm totally cool with it. But I just, I remember that kind of putting a light bulb up and going like, ah, I wonder if yeah. they changed that. <laughs> um, but then they said that she disappeared and there's been this mythical thing about the ship appearing and, and disappearing uh, throughout space. That was like, there's, that's like the myth of what happened to Invictus or something. Yeah. Um, the, uh, Imperial, they they also do the so they go to do the spacewalk and they also show Dor Dorum or Dormir the uh, the the Imperial um, uh, Darwin. commander Dorwin yeah uh, they show how he cuts himself and heals through these Imperial yeah. healing nanobots and I was like did we see that before because I hadn't seen that the nanobots like heal everything I don't remember yeah, I, that, I think that in that was another the first episode we've seen it because like they've mentioned the nanobots before but it was, it was yeah. always in passing so this is the first time like they play a major like role in a major in the in the series so is it it's interesting yeah so it's establishing that kind of new tech uh there is that the nanobots kind of have a healing capability to them the other thing is um 
he says that uh so that's when we were he's talking with hugo and he says hey are there any she says like hey are there are there any um any communication relays on the mining towns and he says i don't really think so and then the guy says I have an uplink that's like from that Black Mirror episode where you can record yeah. everything that you see or hear. Um, and he says that I, if, if I can get to something on the Invictus, I can uplink this, right? And then that yep. kind of just gets, that, that plot line gets just dropped. And we'll talk about that in prediction, in the prediction yeah. aspect too. But that kind of stood out to me as well. Um, and it also kind of sets up that tech later with the Cleons where he says yep. that they have, they can like store and stuff like that. So yeah, it's interesting. Uh, that was kind of foreshadowing that, that scene as well. Um, the effects for the spacewalk were amazing. Uh, it reminded me a lot of the expanse, um, it j even with kind of their, their suit designs and how they, they do the zero G effects in that as well. Felt very expanse to me. The, uh, the turret, uh, I don't, I don't know if that's, that was this scene. It might be a later scene as well, but, um, yeah, I remember the effects were amazing and stuff. So I, I really loved that scene in the beginning. Um, I, I, I wrote a couple times throughout my notes. I was like, this is my favorite episode so far, like early on and then through the middle and then towards the end and stuff as well. Um, the next scene takes us back to the maiden with Cleon and Demerzel. Yep. And Cleon is giving Demerzel a lashing about her priorities and her, uh, her loyalties and where they lie. Um, did you have any thoughts about that scene and, and this section as well? Um, it was, we talked about it that like, this is what she didn't want. And Cleon's first thing he says to her was like, you made me look bad. Like, how dare you mm -hmm. pick religion over this? What if they knew who you were? Like they were making fun of my soul thing and you're immortal as well. Like you, you have reincarnations. So it was a really interesting like perspective. Cause you never really addressed the elephant in the room, which is she's an Android and she lives forever and she's been living forever. Mm -hmm. And the simple fact that he says like, why are you bowing down to someone that's also criticizing you? Like, what makes you different from me? Why is the criticism? Right. So that was a really, really unique, like, conversation that they had that I really did enjoy that he calls her out. Like, you, what makes you so special? I yeah, am there's like, yeah. Yeah, there's like a kinship between them because they're both kind of, they're both kind of soulless, I guess, according yeah. to this, uh, this uh, Zephyr Halima. Um, yeah, so from the luminism, so it was really unique. And then uh, with the when they when he talks to um, the new Proxima, like she's gonna win it. Like we all know that she's gonna win it. The new Proxima, mm -hmm. um, ha Helena, Halim, Halima, Halima, Halima. Halima. Yeah. So like the conversation with Halima was like she and he's like, you know what, I'm I'm what do I need to do to buy you? How can I buy you? Cause that's what he's so used mm -hmm. to doing is buying the stuff or giving you whatever you need, making it. And she's like, just die. I just want you to stop yeah. yourself. Just die. Like that's, and it's very, very telling. Like you start seeing how much of out of touch from, he is from religion. Like he had someone mm -hmm. that knows Luminese. That's so yeah, no, it was a very, it was a very good episode, a very good sequence because you get to see him finally lashing out against his advisor that he, he holds a hundred percent. Like she says something he doesn't. So yeah. you get to see the fraction between that. So that, I love the scene because you got to see that. And you also got to see him face reality that like, he's not God. And people are just he saying, got hey. he kind of got taken down a few pegs, you know, like yes. he, uh, she, she really put him in his place. Um, he's not used to that. He's not used to someone like being that bold to him and like saying yeah. that, that kind of stuff to him. So, 
Um, I love their dynamic. Uh, and then the stuff with Demersel, the thing. So the really interesting thing that we need to pay attention to that he says is he says um, he says something along the lines of um, what if what if what if it were to get out publicly about your true nature? And that was a key kind of line for me because I went, oh, wow, I didn't even think about this. But I was it, it was actually brought up by someone in our comment section the last episode. But yeah. um, uh, the public doesn't know she's an android. Nope. So they don't know she's an android. And I remember thinking, like, how can they not know? Because she's been around through all of this stuff. But I guess what they think, and that's what he said in the comment section of our last video is, um, I think a lot of people think that she's a clone. So they think that she's just like a clone like them. And she's like their advisor through it all. But uh, it really sets up this, this tension that's probably going to lead into the next season, I would think, that's about her um, status as an android and about how that would probably cause a lot of negative waves in the galaxy if that news were to get out that the Cleons were keeping an android for themselves and using it as an advisor or something. So I found that really yeah. interesting. I think that was probably the most important aspect of that scene was that information that the public does not know about her status as an android. Um, and then, like you said, the I, the conversation with Halima, between Halima and him, I thought was really great. Um, it was really interesting to see uh, that Cleon get really taken to task because, like you said, she she didn't she wasn't able to be bought or paid for for anything. She's truly like an authentic revolutionary that just wants to wants uh, what's true and right to to occur. Yeah. Um, and she's not going to back down from anybody to take it. So it really sets up a, it sets up a really tense standoff that's going to go on between these two characters that we're going to expand upon later in the um, in the scene. We both knew after the last episode, we both said, OK, well, she's in the lead now, 100 percent, because that yeah. that speech was such a big deal. And she came they came in and said the speech struck a chord. And I was like, yeah, that's an understatement because she. Um, she, she she definitely took over the lead for that. And we, we both knew that going in. There were really great uh, aerial shots in that yes. scene as well. Um, really cool, like uh, really establishing shots and aerial shots to really show off the maiden and those those like those dunes. The landscapes were so different between all the storylines that we were going in this episode that I found really engaging as well. Um, yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, no. And going off of what you said, like you um, when he's talking to Halima, he finds out that the people are making this trek across the desert in the name of the maiden or the mother. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. he, he kind of like, it's like, well, if they could do it, I could do it. If they could do it, I could do it. And one of the things that like, I really loved in that scene, like when he's talking to Halima and you see the, the blind guy and he's like, Oh, save me, save me, save me. Was he gave it out his hand. Brother day took it. Blind guy's like, Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And the first thing brother is like, Oh, I love you. And when everybody's looking away, he's like, okay, we're done. Stop, yeah, stop yeah. touching me. I don't want just, I don't want to be touched anymore. And you <laughs> right. just see like the disgust in his face where like he's like trying to prove a point, like I am a man of the people. Oh, mm -hmm. look at you. Okay, oh yeah, no, 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 you're getting too close to me. Back off. Exactly. And yeah. it, that was a really great perspective because you never really got to see anybody touch Brother Day. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time we got to see somebody outside of like his concubines and things like that touch him and right. his reaction to being touched is like, ooh, ooh, get away. Yeah, it kind of uh visualizes his his uh desperation you know what i mean like he's he's really starting to feel the pressure of between harry selden's prophecy of this stuff coming true and then her um taking over as potentially taking over as proxima with all the trillions of people he's starting to feel a little more desperate because like you said you know he doesn't want to touch that guy's hands and you know he doesn't want to do all that stuff it's all just a show for politics and that's what they kind of show in that scene yep um the so the um ritual i thought was a little cool uh, again a really cool world building nugget where it was talking yeah. about that apparently um the 
followers of Luminism have to go on some kind of ritualistic pilgrimage yeah. where they, they kind of go through like a rite of passage that's very, very dangerous. Um, and if they make it out, it's supposed to be like a telling of their salvation or, or their um, uh, they, that they've earned favor in the mother's eyes or whatever you want to call it. Um, I thought that was a really cool uh, nugget to add in there. And I think that's going to play in the next couple episodes as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's but, called The Spiral, I think is what they said. Yeah. Before we move on, it was very, it was very interesting because uh, Brother Day asked um, Dor, uh, what's her name again? Oh, Halima? Zephyr Halima? No, the the Android. Demerzel, Demerzel. Demerzel, Demerzel. I got to get like two things, one with the names. <laughs> yeah. So what was interesting was when Brother Day asked uh, Demerzel, I was like, hey, have you ever done this journey before? She was like, oh yeah, many, many years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, how long ago did you do it? Like if you said many years ago, like she was never, she never gave an exact date and she's normally yeah. very like concrete with her information. She's True. like, so this was the first time she was kind of like, starting to hide stuff from him and that's the first time so it was very that was one of the like those two takeaways was like the taking the hand away and then when he asked uh demers i was like oh well when did you make the journey and she's like oh yeah years ago years ago don't don't worry about it stop asking me yeah yeah cleon cleon and demers time is different so when they say many years they can mean like 10 years or they could mean like a thousand years (laughs) you know what i mean like Uh, I think the I think the Imperial thing's been four hundred years or something like that. But Demerzel, no one knows how old she is. So yeah, yeah it could have she could have been talking like a millennia ago. Who knows? You know, exactly. Um, that's that's a good point. Uh, but yeah, she says in the genetic dynasty. Um, and the thing, okay, so uh, I wanted to get back to as well the reason that the episode's named is it uh, is it is it memories and martyrs? Is that what it's called? Uh, mysteries and martyrs. Mysteries and martyrs. Yeah, the reason it's called mysteries and martyrs. One of the things is. Obviously, um, there's Harry Seldon stuff, which we found out at the end of last episode that comes back and he's kind of made himself a martyr. That's a big thing. But the other thing is, I think is important is in this scene with Halima, he knows he can't kill her. Right. So everything in him wants to kill Zephyr Halima and just get it over with. He wants to just murder her right there if he can. But uh, like he says in episode two, when he was talking about Seldon and Seldon's put this doubt in his mind, he said, um, I think, quote, martyrs tend to have a long half-life so he knows that if he were to kill uh zephyr halima it would just really like all of whatever power he's trying to hold on to in the galaxy would just kind of float away because her message would just get amplitude um her her message would just get amplified to the 10th degree you know yeah so i thought that was interesting that in that moment you're like i can tell i'm like i'm like he wants to kill her right now but he knows he can't so and she knows that and she knows and that's why she She's got him by the, uh, by the uh, recycled balls, you know. Yeah. So in that in that scene, so um, I thought that was really really interesting. But it it all, it, it kind of tied into the title, which I thought was cool. Yeah, no, it was. And so yeah, uh, moving on to the next mm-hmm. section, and I think this was like the most visually weird one possible was when they finally make it to Invictus. They have to, after the end, they have to walk. The whole of the ship to they get to the entrance, but there's a gun turret, mm-hmm. and they can't be more than like two meters. Uh, an object can't be bigger than two meters. So that was a really unique, like, okay, so you can't be bigger than two meters. So everyone needs to be under six feet, technically. Which seems like an easy ask, right? Yeah, it's like okay, we need everybody under six feet. It's like okay, add the spacesuits, add all that stuff. You're like, I'm pretty sure everybody's gonna be above mm-hmm. two meters, but. Eh. <laughs> Oh, no, no, no. Like, I think I think you misunderstand. So when they say two meters, they mean they have to be two meters apart. So like, 
they have to walk they have to walk apart at least two yeah. meters so that the thing doesn't recognize a cluster of something okay, so like okay. yeah they're saying they have like, to walk apart not necessarily be like that that size or something okay 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 that makes sense now. but yeah, yeah no i think that scene was really unique but also very stupid and this is one of my biggest critiques of the episode because i like the episode Mm-hmm. But um, so we see them there. Uh, Lewis gets too close to somebody, and the turret goes off, and it starts. Lewis, man, I know he he always screws it up. <laughs> Lewis, and man, it start, and it starts shooting at him, and it was unique because you see them there. They're huddled together. They're trying to hide, and Dorwin's like, "Okay, I got this. I got this," and runs to the door. Mm-hmm. That does the scan. The gun stops shooting, and at that point, I'm going. Everybody knows that the only way you could get onto Invictus is you need to have Doran. Why didn't Doran just float off into space like what happened to Hugo or head towards the communication base or like just kind of like disappear? Because they, if they know that he's needed to get onto the ship and if the ship is alive to, t- to destroy the, the rest of the world or the galaxy, why didn't he just self sacrifice and be like, and float away? Yeah. I, well, I mean, one, I don't think he, he doesn't come off as like a, like a super loyal, I don't know. Yeah. He, I, I, he doesn't come off like a bleeding heart. I would sacrifice myself to save whatever. And he doesn't, they really don't know their plan. So they're thinking, I mean, obviously it's dangerous that they would have this, this giant like Invictus warship, but yeah. they, they may just be trying to settle a new planet or something. They, they, I don't think they know what the intentions were at that point. The other thing too is um, that we kind of skipped over. That's a really important aspect is that they have to, you know, they have to space jump and then Hugo doesn't make it. So they mag boot, yeah. uh, everyone else kind of mag boots on there. Hugo says his thrusters are not working and he kind of yeah. floats through and Hugo gets spaced. He gets, he gets dead. So, yeah. um, so Hugo dies pretty early in the episode or, uh, allegedly we'll go into predictions, I guess yeah. about that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Hugo dies, Salvor doesn't really grieve him that much and then they just kind of uh and then like you said the turret sequence reminded me of mass effect and i was just like all into it i just i i thought the action was much more coherent and a lot better in this one um and um, i I really like that scene yeah not to interrupt but like Mm -hmm. uh she wasn't uh software wasn't able to mourn hugo because uh pharaoh first thing she tells us like hide your grief bear your grief let's go right right not important this is this is a goal and you see her like she wants to grieve she wants to cry she wants to like because that's her lover that's the person that she loves and yeah. having fair to say go deal with it uh hide your grief it's like it's very british in that regards of yeah you swallow your grief you swallow that stuff and you keep moving on yeah and we'll talk about it i i would i would disagree that she wanted to cry as much but we would, we'll talk about it in the predictions thing because i think i think that that kind of goes into what we were thinking of there um, they get on the Invictus. I really like the design of the ship. I yes. also love that the ticking time bomb element, which I get into this because uh, he brings up. So um, I put that the ship was really cool. And I, I love the effect when they turn the gravities on and all the bodies dropped and stuff. That yeah. that reminded me a lot of Expanse as well. Um, yeah. And the, the dust that pops up from the bodies was really yeah. cool too. Yeah. They're all just like frozen. And uh, yeah, they're, it's like it's like dry ice almost when they hit the ground. Um the the idea of the ghost ghost ship concept, which we'll we'll extrapolate on in a second, is is cool. But there's this thing uh, that's like a ticking time bomb, which yep. is they're the flashing these these flashing pulsing lights, and they say, okay, when these lights flash, and 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 old idiot, uh, what's his name? You know Lewis. his name, Lewis. Yeah. yeah. He uh he says, oh, they're patterned. So it's t- it was 18 seconds when we first got on. Now it's 16 seconds between pulses, and that was like. 
between when he said they got on the ship and they said that it was like i don't know 10 seconds of screen time and it went yeah. from 18 to 16 and then he goes she's like how much time do we have left and he goes four hours and i remember being like wait how does that mathematically add up i don't know yeah. if anybody watching like knows math or anything but if it goes from 16 18 pulses to 16 pulses in about 10 then seconds why would it go from pulses. 16 to zero in like four hours you know what i mean like well i think what also what it is is like the countdowns like because he says like it it there it's time intervals so like it's 18 18 18 then 17 because we skip 17 and then we get to 16 and then 15 and it's and i and it's just i it's a countdown so i guess yeah. it's a it's a mathematical countdown note yeah it's just it's it's yeah it's weird that the interval from 18 to 16 seems so fast but the intervals from 16 to 0 is 4 hours cuz it was like yeah. that that's to me when when it when he said um it was 18 when we got on the ship. Then he said it was 16. I was like, oh, dude, they got to find something now because it's about yeah. to like count down to like zero. I thought they were going to have like 10 minutes or something. It was like four yeah. hours. I don't know. That might just be a nitpicky thing. So if anybody in the comments knows why, why that is, and, I just I thought that sounded like a, a huge gap considering. Yeah. And I think this is the biggest issue with the show that we've talked about beforehand. And we could talk about it later is mm -hmm. giving a sense of time because I don't think it gives you the sense of time as well as you think as as it thinks it does and i think this is a perfect example of it where it goes from 18 to 16 in 10 seconds and then you have four hours from 16 to zero so it's like <laughs> yeah yeah you have no sense of time but anyway uh right. now comes uh one of the things that you were a hundred percent correct on mm -hmm. uh i don't know if we're at that point yet because i think we might actually be at a different okay so we're at a different scene yeah. Okay. So uh, uh, we'll talk about what you're 100 percent right on afterwards. I think mm -hmm. that ends the episode. But uh, the garden, we we come back to the garden. Yes. So, or or this is the garden on transfer. Yes. Yeah. Um. Well, right before that too, there there was a quick scene where um where I I, I think it was this quick scene before that where um Brother Day goes out and says, uh he he pretty much says that he's going to leave it to the mother or whatever wasn't that right before yeah. that okay I yeah, just yeah to make sure because i was looking at my yeah, notes yeah it's it's a real quick scene where he pretty much says hey i'm gonna do the journey he's gonna do the journey right i yeah. just wanted to make sure we had that in there and then uh yeah back on um back on trantor we're in the garden where this is where brother don and azora were getting their love story right their their little um fling i guess um I, some notes that I had about the scene that I noticed, and I don't know if this was yeah. the case in past episodes, is that I think what's really cool about the visuals in this scene is that the lighting is so soft, it feels artificial because it is. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, like it doesn't feel like there's a sun. It just felt like there was like, it felt like an office building, but less bigger and outside. You know what I mean? And I remember yeah. thinking like, uh, it was really cool how soft the lighting was. And I remember I thinking like, oh, this looks fake or artificial. And I was like, oh, it is fake and artificial. So that totally makes sense that they would have it that way. So I thought that was a cool point about that. Um, yeah. I have a prediction about this subplot that we'll go into in the predictions phases as well. I'll probably save it for that. Um, but this is the scene where she offers him color correction lenses or whatever. Yep. Is that right? Yeah. And he said, and he, he tells her why he can't, he can't do them because, um, because if, if they notice that he's different, then he dies. Yep. Um, I, I will say, uh, of all of the relationship character stuff, I think this is the best written, uh, aspect of this because we, what we talked about before in the past romantic endeavors in the show is, it felt like they set it up and then it was like, you're supposed to buy that they love each other by the end of the yeah. episode. And it's like, you've seen them for two, this one, um, 
This one yeah, seems like, like they 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 drew it out. I think it's been like three or four episodes that they've been kind of flirting and building up to this. And yeah. it feels it feels more consequential because of that, you know? Yeah, because like the Ra's and Gale one was like all of a sudden they're they kind of flirted a little bit and it was kind of like, oh yeah, you're cute. Yeah, you're cute too. Okay. And then next thing you know, they're in a pool banging. You're like, wait, yeah. where, why, where did this come from? And they're like but, soulmates that would die for each other. And you're like, wait, yeah. what? Hold on. Where did yeah. this? <laughs> so you see Don and Azura, Azura and it makes sense because you see them build the trust, build the mm -hmm. bonds of a relationship. So that was really well, like how you said, it is a very well done relationship. You get to see the mm -hmm. start the middle like the whole thing blossomed so i really did enjoy the relationship um one of the notes i had which is kind of funny uh, is when they when him and her start like hooking up mm. they made it they make it a point to show that he has no belly button like a test tube baby so mm -hmm. i really enjoyed that they did that that the attention to detail that he grew up in a in yeah. a lab and he's not gonna have a belly button because there's no umbilical cord so mm -hmm. i really love the fact that they made sure to include that and they I kind of wish they didn't like focus heavily on that. They just didn't like, they like, they just kind of did like the, oh, wow, wow, he's in shape. Oh, wow, he does have a belly button. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. They connected, not like, yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a clone, so I have no belly button. I mean, right, right. But they didn't make was, a big deal out of it. It was very like subtle. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing that they did very subtly, which I thought was hilarious, was Azura wears a regular common bra in the future because you always seen like gail has like the the like almost like a sports bar type thing Sarah harding has like a sports bar she has a regular normal 20th century right. 21st century bra with the claps in the back yeah she's the vintage girl yeah <laughs> you so, you, so you kind of think like oh whoa, yeah wait, she's the hipster she's the hipster yeah. foundation you know she likes the she likes the old stuff yeah so i thought that was kind of unique that they gave her a lacy unique old bra i was like okay that I guess they'll still have them in the future. Yeah. So, um, uh, let's see. Yeah. So he goes into all the stuff that he does wrong. He kind of explains yeah. to her that all the things that he does that are, that are incorrect. Right. And, um, I think that he's a really interesting character cause I really yes. empathize with him actually, because, uh, the idea of like your, and, and obviously this relates to a lot of modern day people that go through a lot of identity issues growing up. Um, I think it's a really, it's a really like um, an empathetic parallel to that. Yeah. But he talks about how like ever since he was born, he's literally been playing a role since yeah. he's been a child, like a little kid, like he's never been able to be himself. He has, to, he's constantly impersonating two people yeah. that are watching him like a hawk throughout his life. And like, I really felt that through Cassian Bilton's performance too, because I really like, he, I thought yeah. he did a really good job of like conveying that, but he seemed very traumatized and very like, uh, very like damaged from it. And I was like, yeah, that makes a hundred percent sense. Like if you were a kid and ever since you were a kid, once you started realizing you were a little different, you had to just like, you had to, um, you had to like impersonate yeah. two people that like they know they they know you inside and out so like they would know they'd be able to pick up any kind of difference so you're yeah. constantly just being like guarded by them the whole time and, like that's pretty traumatizing and one of my favorite things like he threw he had a lot of throwaway lines like the one thing was like the hand stuff and mm -hmm. that goes to what we talked about we think that he he is left-handed he's not right-handed because he says these cleons do right over left i do left over right and it's like okay that means his dominant hand is his left hand right uh just because it needs to be on top he how he eats food, how he starts with, they start with like starch and proteins. He goes protein starch. So it's, he says all these things that he has to think about every single mm -hmm. time he's with them. And it helps 
let it helps the viewers know and let us know that when he's with Azura, he's able to be himself. He's not right. trying to be someone different. He is who he truly is. And that was a really great thing that they did there where yeah, I can't be someone different. And then that's where they go. He shows Azura like why he can't be different. And I think having that scene is very helps set how it's it shows how little they're thought of as a person and more mm-hmm. of as a symbol. And you get to see that where I don't know if you want to take this this part and explain it. Uh and then we could stop it. We could continue right after like what he shows her and stuff like that. Uh wh- what he shows her, what do you mean? Uh the tanks. Of, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. he shows her the tanks. Was that is that a later scene as well? Yeah, it's after they but, um, yeah. Yeah, after they kind of yeah, like so do it. We we can jump to we can jump to that when it when it hits when it gets to that part too because I had some stuff to to say about that section as well. Oh, but um, no, no, it, yeah, it is because it's like right after they. Uh, it's right after the scene essentially, and yeah, and he admits to her that he can't wear the glass, the contact, the color correcting contacts because they'll notice right away. True. Yeah, it was like in the same scene. Um, yeah. I thought you brought up a really good point, which is. Yeah, it's. Um, I think the reason why this relationship works where the other ones didn't in Foundation, the other relationships didn't feel right, is because, like you said, you. Un- I completely understand why he would fall for her. Because yeah. it's, it's the only person, like you said, that he's able to be himself around. He's been, literally been like, um, he's been impersonating someone for his yep. entire life, like w- under threat of death. You know what I mean? Like you've had to impersonate somebody, and and uh, like you said too, the uh, it really it really ties you to his character when you think about all the little minutia that he's had to constantly think of day yeah. in and day out. Where he's like, oh god, I got to put my left hand over my right hand. Oh no, I got to like make sure I eat my starches first. Like this little tiny minutia stuff that you have to yeah. constantly be aware of because you, a future version of yourself is is monitoring you at all times. It's a really like kind of scary. Uh, like when you think yeah. about it, it's a really kind of terrifying like uh, ordeal. So I really, I really empathize with the character, and I thought he really portrayed it well in the performance and stuff as well. So it goes yeah. to the tanks um, where he goes in and he shows them, hey, at pretty much at any point, and this is all also feeding off of the uh, Dorwin tech earlier, where he said he yep. has a constant recording of his memories and things he sees and hears going on in his head that he can send as a beacon. Um, this is kind of an extension of that, where it shows that at least what we did we see Brother Dusk. I had I did. Is Brother we, Dusk one of them as well, or is it just Dawn and Day that are kind of the contingency ones in case something uh, happens? Dawn and Day are the contingency ones because I think yeah. at that point Brother Dusk is already he's already out the door. Right. So um, it shows Dusk and or I'm sorry, so it's Dawn and Day, and they have essentially like surrogate versions of themselves constantly at the ready in case something happened. Um, and uh, these surrogates are being uploaded like from essentially from like the cloud of their. Yep. Um, their thoughts and their feelings yeah. and their uh, things they see in here so that if they were to die, the other one could step out and pick up right at where the other one left off. Yeah. So there's this, uh, what's that? Uh, I forget what the narrative term for it is. It's like a um, uh, Damocles, it's- sort of Damocles above his head at all times where it's like at any yeah, moment, I- if he dies, like it's it's like not a big deal. I think it's called the sword of Damocles, but. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm unfamiliar with the term, so I'm like. Yeah, yeah. No, that's all right. I, I I think that's what it's called. But he's um he's constantly has that over his head where he's like, if I make a mistake, they'll easily just kill me, and then this this yeah. uh this surrogate will take over. It also shows Brother Day. This is a uh this is a Chekhov's gun in in their in narrative where yeah they're sh- they're showing so they're showing that um there's these surrogates there in case in case one of the two dies, and in my head I go well that has to happen now right so like. 
I, and I'll get to that in my predictions uh, phase as well, because it can go one of two ways. But this this reminded me of a scene where the test tube uh, emperors is a Chekhov's gun where it's like, if you show the gun, it's going to get used. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, so it, that's like a that's like a writing trick. So I immediately kind of perked up and said, uh-oh. Uh, yeah. It kind of put alarms off in my head. And one thing with the show that we've noticed is they show things for a reason. They don't show things just to show things. Like mm -hmm. everything that we see and they talk about, the MacGuffins, have a purpose. They're not just there just to move the plot. They're there because they are part of the plot. Right. So, uh, so yes. So we go that scene, and then and then we get to Gale, right? So we get to Gale um on the raven i think is the name of the ship and she's tending to oh harry selden how he oh, I'm before sorry, we ahead. forget uh before we forget there's a scene where azora tells um brother don like hey why don't you just leave with oh just right, escape. right just just leave mm -hmm. and he goes i can't uh one they'll know exactly where i am two yeah. they have a replacement for me so even if i were to leave they'll just kill me off and activate the replacement and he shows the nanotech and she goes well is there any way that you could come with me to experience something other than these stuff? And we got to see the firefly, the little dragonfly again. And you see him, you see him fly it with her and like explore the worlds because she goes, there's a place where it's real, where there's real sunlight, real flowers, right. real life. And that was a really unique thing because this is the first time we see him kind of like, well, let's explore the outside world. Let me go with you. Let me go. I can't go with you, but there's ways where I could still see it. So show me what yeah. you want to show me and we can experience it together. She's providing him hope. So yeah. she's providing the character hope. He's been in this really dark place where he's constantly thinking about uh, either killing himself or the fact that he's going to die because he's different. And yeah. she's providing him, uh, even if it's unrealistic hope, where she's saying like, oh, you can get rid of the nanobots and oh, they won't come find you and you can make sure to change your appearance and all this kind of stuff. And she's saying kind of these things, hoping that it... Uh, hoping that he kind of takes takes heed and and does it and tries you know tries yeah. it essentially because she's saying you can't live how you're living the other yeah. interesting thing too and and we'll get into more of that in the predictions phase for me as well but the other interesting thing is like you said when she goes on that train she says that um, a lot of people really love that the star bridge got destroyed because yeah. it opened a scar up in the world and that they can actually see real clouds for the first time. So I thought that was a cool perspective because, you know, you were thinking about the star bridge as this like terrible tragedy, which it was because all those people died. But there's yeah. this silver lining of like um, this, the, the, the dome of artificiality was broken momentarily. So they actually saw like real, real light and yeah. real clouds coming through. And, yeah. uh, and they apparently it resonated with a lot of the people on Trantor as well. So I thought that was a cool little wrinkle. Yeah, and then before we move on to the mm -hmm. to two main things that happen in the episode, uh, there is a thing with Brother Dusk where he comes in and talks to Brother Day and says, or Brother Don, and goes like, "Hey, you missed the dinner bell. Why'd you miss the dinner bell? You know, punctuality. Mm -hmm. We're never late. We're always on time." And that's the first time you start seeing that like they're starting to notice that like something's not right. Like they never missed a dinner bell. They yeah. they're 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 exact. They're always on time. They're never distracted. So it's unique perspective and unique talk that they have because they also go into like Trantor. What is Trantor? What what makes Trantor Trantor? And Brother Don pretty much tells him like, "You are Trantor. Like these walls are Trantor. Like you don't need to worry about the outside world. Like exactly. Focus on yeah. this. Yeah. Focus on being a symbol. That's all you are. You yep. know. Uh, that's all yeah. you're good for. Yep. Pretty much. Uh, and then we get to we finally get to Gale. And yep. So we're. 
we're on the Raven. Uh, we get to Gale, and she's trying to nurse Harry back to back to life. I guess as a he's he's like a hologram, but she's trying to force him back to life. Uh, one of my issues was this scene uh, as well. I thought the whole like he's like a he's like a computer program on a ship, and she's like follow my boys, try really hard. Oh, and he's before, and, and, uh, no, no, before oh, I forget, ahead. before I forget, I yeah. want I want to give you one hundred and ten. 150% props you huh. called the importance of the knife you you said that the yeah. knife was important the knife mm -hmm. was needed and i just kind of like ah uh, i just <laughs> yeah uh, it's it's i think it was a throwaway i think it just needed something metal but when harry comes into fruition like all that stuff the you, the knife that you predicted was important is 100% important yeah and no it's definitely true and but i'll push back against myself a little bit because was it really that important in this episode? Because I remember when he was glitching and she's going, why is he glitching? I'm like, they showed when she initially got to the Raven that that the knife went into the thing and they kept showing a close up of the knife and it's like glitching with its little like lights. And I remember yeah. thinking, oh, the, the knife isn't in there all the way. Something's like the connection with the knife is off. So I remember thinking that when we first saw that episode and I was like, something's not interfacing with the, with the ship correctly because they showed it like two or three times, the knife yeah. kind of shaking around. So... In, in reality, it wasn't really that important. I thought it should have been, but when he was glitching out and she says, why are you glitching? And she, she immediately, I was like, oh, go, Gail. I, I thought Gail was going to figure out, oh, it's the knife. I need to go yeah. figure out how, the knife is not fitting in correctly. That's why he's glitching. And that connection is never made by Gail at all. And she just goes, and she just starts going like, follow my voice. Come on, try really hard, computer program. And then yeah. he's like, oh, I'm okay. I remember thinking like that was really cringy. Uh, and was. I was like, ah, oh, really? I was like, I like thought it would have, and... yeah, I thought it would have made so much more sense if, uh, if she go, if she thought back and went, wait, how is he here? Oh, it must have been like in the knife that that he gave that uh, Rage gave me, and then she goes and yeah. figures it out. That's what I thought was going to happen, and then it just maybe I don't know if they cut that scene or something, but they definitely showed the knife like it was not interfacing yeah. correctly. So it seems weird that they would just kind of abandon that for the for the episode, but. That it's neither here nor there. I just wanted to push back yeah. that yeah, I was I was right about the knife being important, but it wasn't right enough for the episode to actually pay it off in this one. Oh yeah, uh, which felt kind of weird. Hope, take credit, okay? Take yeah, credit. yeah, no, I'll take you it. I'll right, take credit. Okay, you're like no, no, I wasn't right. I was right. I'm like yeah. Stop with the humble bullshit, dude. Take yeah. credit. You're 100 right. The knife was important because it was yeah. what activated the ship. No, yeah, 100. It has this data unit on it and everything. Yeah. Um, so anyway. I, yeah, I was just mad that she didn't know that it was causing the glitching because that's what yeah. 100% was causing it. Um, yeah, so he, Harry had like the smuggest, smuggest son of a bitch look. Like he's like, when he was like decked out in the suit and that just Jared Harris, that's the reason why I love the series so much mm -hmm. is because of his acting. And those scenes like that where he's by himself in a black suit, he steals, he stole that scene yeah. from from um, Lou. I think I think it's like Lou. Lou LaBelle. Yeah, Lula Bell. Yeah, like just stole that scene from her. And anyway, yeah, yeah. To, to, her, to, her, right. to yeah, to her point, it is Jared Harris. So I, yeah. I mean, you know, it's not. I don't know. There's not a lot of people that could steal scenes from him anyway. But um, it's uh, yeah. So he he uh, he just kind of like wills himself out of glitching, and yeah. then uh, and then I think we we change scenes before we get yes. back to him in the suit and stuff, right? Yeah, so then we change scene. scenes to uh, back on um, Invictus, right? Yep. So yeah, we're back on Invictus, and uh, Salvor is trying to talk. I think Akiva, I think is his name. I looked up. I looked up some of the names after. 
Um, yeah. And she's telling him he needs to fight. She finds one of those little like um, force field fences that she had on Terminus um, that she has to disable. Yep. And then we get the second fight scene. The first one was the turret scene. We get the second kind of action fight scene, which takes place. And, and again, it, I thought back to uh, episode five, the one that we hated, yeah. where Farah was fighting Salvor in this dark, crappy hallway and it was over edited and it was yeah. just like this really really boring kind of visually like flat scene yeah. and then in this one i go in and there's these orange flares and these crosses on the wall that are coming on the background and there's this like coolant that's raining down from all this broken yeah. stuff and i remember thinking like this is so much more visually interesting for yes. a fight scene than that one in episode five and i was so glad that jennifer fong is it fong uh yeah, fong. I, I was so glad that jennifer Jennifer Fong, and she did that throughout this entire episode. I thought she did a, a wonderful job, but she made all of these little moments like visually consequential where she's like, oh no, if we're going to have a fight, let's have it in a really yeah. cool location where there's acid water and like these little moats and like all this rain coming down and all this like orange light coming through the, the yes. walls. I just thought it was really visually interesting and the editing was a lot better as well. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Like this, this was hands down such such a better constructed fight scene better visual better lighting better everything because mm -hmm. we got to see more of the action it didn't feel like it was cut it didn't feel like it was hidden it was clear it was concise it was just very well done um the orange lights highlight certain mm -hmm. scenes they didn't use it i was like oh yeah this would be the background random lightning why is there lightning in a room but then they explained it earlier that when they turn on the environment, there is going to be storms. There are going to be right. like random flux. And they explain like, yeah, this is a room where they used to cool the engines. This is where the engines go to get cooled. Yeah. So they explain everything perfectly leading up to this fight scene because it explains the rain, explains the random lightning. And it was just a very well-constructed beginning, middle, and sequence where you see Sauver going like, hey, we need to fight back. We can't let this happen. Mm -hmm. The guy was like, I'm not a warrior. But then you start to see him think, like, we can't let this happen. I need to yeah. fight. And he ends up being one of the best fighters. It's like, Jesus Christ, old Dude, man. he was like, actually one of the best fighters. He actually held his own pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's like, I'm so glad that they did that. I'm so glad that she did. She, you know, people could have eye-rolled when they said, like, oh, it's going to have weather patterns inside or something like that. But, yeah. dude, that made, the, that made that scene so much more dynamic and so much more um, visually interesting. And I really wish they would have done something like that in that in the episode five scene yeah. where it was just really flat. They just come up with something like even that was just kind of throwaway line of like, hey, we've activated the atmospheric system. Yeah. It's going to cause some weather stuff. And it's like, cool, we get to see weather stuff in the backdrop of the stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. Any Anytime yeah. you can visually make it. The other thing uh, real quick too, that Jennifer Fong did that I talked about earlier vaguely was the uh the the flashing lights uh yeah. that are counting down i love that they're that that's what that is because they could have easily made it like a dial or something really boring that just yeah. kind of is a countdown to this thing and it could have just been like four hours and i i love that she was like no let's make like the whole ship pulsate light and it's adding uh it's making it visually like um dynamic instead of yeah. instead of just making it a, a, like a like a stupid throwaway thing you know one of the best things like i'm gonna copy ridley scott uh take it from ridley scott aliens the second mm -hmm. movie of the alien franchise he set a timer of 15 minutes that timer in aliens is 15 minutes mm -hmm. and they tell you it is 15 minutes and they show you it's 15 minutes this is it it's not like that but it's very similar where they say we have four hours but they're giving you that timer of like, here is a sequence of time. We're going to tell you how many 
uh, flashes they are, and that tells you the countdown. And yeah. I love the fact that they're telling you we have a set limit of time. We can't go beyond four hours, right. even but though- But they're, they're not telling you, they're showing you. And I think that's yeah. what's really important. It's showing and, you with the flashing pulsing lights and it's not somebody saying like, hey guys, we only have two hours. You know what I mean? It's like, it's showing it yeah. visually, you know? And some people are able to figure out the timing and structures and stuff like that, but it's the first time we've actually seen a sense of time being added to a scene. Is this, is the first time we're like, okay, we know that they have four hours. Right. So what can they do in four hours? And you can think about it just uh, logically. And so giving the timing and it was really good. And I love that they finally did that in a sequence of this stuff. So now we have a yeah. sense of time. And um, we get, oh, oh, the uh, the last thing I wanted to say about that scene, there's two quick things. One, um, we talked a little bit about the ghost ship concept about there's this ship that's going to keep jumping to random yeah. places and it'll jump to a place that's outside of comms and then people will just kind of die in cold space. It's this really kind of horrifying thing. I thought that was yeah. a really cool. I thought that was a really cool play on like those ghost pirate ships where they say like, yeah. oh, there's like a, a pirate ship with a bunch of dead pirates on it. And I remember thinking, oh, that's a really cool way to kind of tie that into space. And uh, it's kind of horrifying. And I think Forrest sits down with her and says, now, you know, the stakes like. We could we could warp into like literally a sun or a black hole and it's yeah. like this really and scary thing you know honestly like after 500 or 700 years that it's been like floating around like that in space i'm like if it hasn't hit a black hole or like a sun <laughs> what Dude, makes you think the next jump is going to be the one that takes you through it's like the the chances of that happening are like slim to none right but the chances of it going to empty space where you can't get get anything is, is really high you know yeah. that's a really high probability so your your odds of dying are super high if they don't figure this out which i and i think that's what's kind of scary about it um about the whole thing but yeah. um the, the other thing oh, oh go ahead I, I was gonna oh. say the last thing about that scene was what kind of annoyed me this was a, another criticism that i had of the show is your favorite episode this is like a lot of annoyances. Yeah. No, there's like there's like little nitpicks, but I think for the most part it was it was really well done. But they um after the fight scene, she appeals to um Farah's second in command, I forget his name. Um, but uh, Rowan. Uh, Rowan, yeah. She says, Rowan, you know, you can't do this or whatever. And and then they proceed to go all Dr. Evil and tell her their entire plan. And they yeah. say, Oh, well, we're we don't plan to go anywhere. We're gonna jump this ship right into the middle of Trantor and you're you're gonna be on it too. And then Farah says that to them. And I remember just kind of going like, what? I was just like, they, right. I feel like at that point they lost any leverage that they had over them. Yeah. Right. Like, why would you do anything that they say when you know that the end result is they're going to try to warp a ship into the middle of Trantor, kill all of you on it and yeah. then destroy the planet. Like at, at that point, it's like, okay, well just shoot me. Like I'm not doing, yeah. I'll shoot myself. You know what I mean? Like I remember thinking like that's so weird that they just kind of like gave away all of their leverage in that situation just to tell them that their plan i was just like yeah i don't know why they would do anything with them now yeah no there's that and it's and one of the things that they also did like as a throwaway line that has that harkens back to this is they said that the emperor the empire has always made sure to hide jump technology like they've always made sure to keep that a secret like that's one mm -hmm. of the reasons why they've been able to conquer the universe was because they have that technology and nobody else has it so it's kind of like, well, if this ship is jumping randomly and it's like people have known about it, wouldn't you want to try to like track it down, blow it up or like destroy it outside of yeah. just like it could randomly jump? Like how many times in 700 years, like hasn't it ever jumped inside the middle of a planet and blown it up? So it's there's a lot of um, stuff that doesn't make sense. And it's kind of like, oh, for plot stuff. So like jumping, getting that to jump into the middle of Cantor is like 
couldn't it have already happened like already where it jumps into the middle of a ship yeah and then they, they're guarding this jump technology because it, so there's a lot of stuff that was like uh okay anyway yeah uh, oh yeah. go ahead no i was like eh, yeah because we could go on and on about like all these like mm-hmm. little nuances and it's just right it we've yeah it's beating a dead horse yeah um, so it goes back to uh, it goes back to the Raven, yep. I think is the next scene. Yeah, so the Raven. Uh, so uh, apparently, because Harry was did not did not sink because of the knife. I'm telling you, but it, because Harry did not sink with the ship correctly, um, the life support systems faded, and now Gale is like gasping for air, asking Harry to yeah. help her, and he does nothing happens different but apparently right at the last minute uh harry just goes ah you know what i'm gonna interface correctly and he interfaces with the ship and then saves the life support systems i remember thinking because it just goes authorization complete and i remember thinking like wait what happened like why is it complete what did they do i thought that was a little weird i just remember thinking like uh did i don't know if they're going to explain that in a later episode or something but Right at the last minute, it just starts working. Uh, nothing really changed, but yeah. did you did you pick up anything as to what might have caused him to just all of a sudden start working correctly? I, who knows? Like certain <laughs> yeah. things about this, certain like this is one of the things about the show. Like there's way too convenient conclusions or convenient actions or convenient things to happen to save the person's life. So I just chalk it up to it was going to happen regardless. Like blood right. armor. Yeah. Um, he reveals to her, so he starts working and he reveals to her that he, in fact, had an illness, uh, Leth, yes. Leth, Leth, Leth syndrome, I think is what it was called. L-E-T-H-E, I think. Um, and it's, it, they didn't specify what the illness is specifically, but it does come with a bout of cognitive decline. So it seems kind of like a dementia type, um, illness that will decline over time. So I did kind of like that wrinkle in there because I thought, oh, well, that, that kind of makes sense that he would want to. Um, kill himself while he has all his faculties and record it if he's going to be suffering an illness with uh, if you have a brain like harry selden's you can't afford to cognitive decline is like worse than death you know what i mean like yeah uh so it made sense that he kind of did the plan how he did that and i didn't i didn't pick up that he might have been dealing with some kind of terminal or um serious illness throughout there but that was a cool kind of uh reveal and i remember thinking like oh that kind of makes things make a lot of sense as well no Um, it does um, mm-hmm. I like I like that scene just because Harry admitted that his his greatest flaw and and things like that like that scene was just beautifully done and there was a lot of back and forth between Gail and Harry of like mm-hmm. who is right and who is wrong and what I loved about that scene particularly is when both of them say like when Harry's like I have this terminal disease I want to live I did not want to die that's why that's why I did what I did. And then Harry calls out Gale for almost the same exact thing. Yeah. And it was very, very unique perspective of like, they, like he says, you're exactly like me. Just mm-hmm. admit it. And Gail's like, no, I'm nothing like you. And it's a really, really cool like argument that they have. And I love that they included that type of argument. Yeah. They're like two sides of the same coin, you know? Yeah. Um, he, yeah, he calls her out. He says essentially, like, you know, this is all your, this is our fault. This, you yeah. chose this too. You left, uh, you left Synax. You did the Abraxas equation. You came to Trantor and all this stuff. You, yeah. um, lied. You lied to the Empire when you, when you, you know, you had the opportunity not to and yeah. all this stuff. So he pretty much calls her out for her part in it that she's, she's been knocking over dominoes too. That's led to this, uh, led to yeah. this, um, this, uh, result. So, yeah. uh, 
yeah, he he. I thought the sets are uh, obviously like the Raven set. I think is really cool. A lot of the shots here were really good. Yes. She starts. Um, he starts asking her how she was able to essentially come to his um room while that was occurring, and she says yep. something along the lines of "I could feel it in the air." Um, Bear McCreary's score starts swelling here, which yes. I thought was really effective. I thought his score was really good in the scene, and she starts kind of talking about her intuition. The the only tiny issue that I had with this scene was that they were presenting it like this was a huge reveal to us. And I remember thinking like we I, I think any casual fan of Foundation knew that Gail had superhuman intuition like yeah. after episode one. You know what I mean? Like this was something we yeah, always they... knew that she had this ability. We just never knew how she had it. And we yeah. still don't know how she has it. But um they were presenting it like, oh, my God, this is going to blow your guys' minds, you know? I know. We're thinking, like, like, we kind of know this already, like, yeah, for the most like part. The, and the, the one thing I didn't like about this scene, and like I said, I love the scene, but there's a few things I didn't like about it. Mm -hmm. One of the ones was, like, they're, like, the, uh, about her precognition, about being able to see the future. They're, like, they flash back to all the foreshadowing that they gave. And it's, like, mm -hmm. oh, remember when this and here and here? And you're, like, I get it. I understand. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. Knew that this, she knew that the sky bridge was was exploding before anybody else did. She knew that this was happening. She knew that this was right. happening. She knew that she could wake up in the middle of the jump. So I was like, I didn't. We didn't need to see that because we were yeah. gonna know it. Yeah, it was a little on the nose, and it seemed yeah. like they were trying. And like, like that's what I'm saying is like the way they presented it with showing all the flashbacks made it seem like like we weren't already aware of that as a casual audience watching the show. I think. I think anybody, I, I don't know if they just anticipated that people wouldn't pick up on this and they thought, oh, this would be a really cool reveal. But I, I think after, I don't think you, I think like any casual fan after episode one was like, oh, wow, there's something different with her. She has a superhuman intuition where she knows yeah. things are going to happen before they happen. That was something we knew way, way early on in, a, in the way they did that scene. While um, I don't want to hit on it too hard because... Um, I thought the scene was gorgeous. I love how they opened. I love how right before they had their argument, um, Jennifer Fong said, uh, we're going to have this intense scene with them. It needs to visually portray that as well. So they open the star like window or whatever, and you see Helicon, this red dwarf star, and they go into this debris field where there's like this lightning going on and these lightning flashes. And I just remember going like, oh, Jennifer Fong is killing this right now. It's elevating the scene so much. And like, um, I love directors that if this if the characters are having a really emotional moment, they portray it visually by showing like crashing lights and and like you know crazy stuff going outside in debris field and everything. I thought it was really well done. Yeah, I what I love about the scene and I was gonna bring it up was she says, "Why are we going through this debris field? We could die." And here's like, "Ship's fine." Mm -hmm. But what the thing I love most about that scene is like when they start their argument, both of them are in red. Mm -hmm. And they're both trying to say who is the better person. And then when they both realize that they're exactly the same, they lose their red tint because they then move and they get, they start becoming blue, clear, more open, more like honest mm -hmm. with themselves of who they really are. Exactly. And then when they start fighting again, they move back into the red room. But you see the subtle changes of Gail where she's being like red, but clear, red, clear, red, clear. And Harry, throughout this entire scene, he's just in one solid color because he already comes to terms of who he is at this point in time. Yeah. But Gail is still fighting about what, who and what she is because, like, you see the red, the clear, the red, the clear until finally when it hits the crescendo and she's like, she blocks that debris, she's fully clear and it shows that she finally comes to terms of who she is. And that was a beautiful 
transition that they did were like so I, it was beautifully yeah. stunning that they they fought but the visuals helped incorporate like the anger the rage the blame yeah. with each character yeah again i think this is uh i think this is the best episode that i've seen of the season and i think it's mostly in part due to the direction i thought the direction was so good in this i thought jennifer fine did such an amazing job of visualizing these really uh, emotional scenes yep. um and the pacing i thought was the best one that i'd seen there was a lot of uh, cool action set pieces and a lot of stuff going on it really felt like a quick watch it didn't feel long at all yeah. to me as well no it was good. um so the last thing i want to say about that last scene with where she uh so um we should we should specify too she um she gets like a shield or something yeah. and as they're going through the debris field right before a piece of debris cuts through the shield and it's about to hit her in the head she turns and blocks it which is like no human would be able to do under normal circumstances and then she says, and this I think is probably the most important quote of the episode. She says, um, I, 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 uh, she's essentially like, I went to your room, not through math and not through calculations. I think I can feel the future. Yeah. And I remember that raised kind of a red flag in my head and I got a little, I, it kind of annoyed me at first. And, but since I've, th since I've thought about it, it makes a lot more sense to me, but, um, I don't know why she would assume that it's not through math and not through calculations. I remember thinking like, why she's she's like a she's like one of these so just to back up about that because i think this is going to be a huge theme for season two um there's theoretically a math equation that is out there that if if, if no one's gonna figure this out forever but there's theoretically a math equation out there that kind of explains the world and if someone were to figure out this math equation they would kind of know things are going to happen before they happen it's kind of the basis of psychohistory essentially but um I, I always understood Gail as a character that she's like this far future character that is so prodigious or she's such a big prodigy and such a mathematical genius that she's able to intuit that equation to kind of figure out more specific things that are going to occur. She's able to kind of expand yeah. on psychohistory in a way that Harry couldn't uh, because she's um, she's so she's such a genius mathematical mind that she's able to kind of intuit these things subconsciously. Yeah. That's how I always assumed that that was her character. So it kind of frustrated, it, it, not frustrated me, but it kind of raised a red flag for me when she says, it's not through math and not through calculations. I think I can feel the future. And after I watched the episode, I thought on that and I thought, oh, well, this is a really, this is a really interesting dynamic because I think this is going to be the main arc for her character in season two. Yeah. Because if she, it's, there's one, only, only two explanations for how she can feel the future. It's either math and calculations, which she says it's not which means that Gail thinks that she, this is something from the sleeper. Um, that's the only other explanation as to why she thinks yeah. that she has this ability if it's not her math and calculations. No, so exactly. it's really setting up her, again, her crisis of faith where she's torn between science and, and, and math and then her religion as a seer. But I think this was a really important scene and a really important um, quote because it shows that she thinks that this is like a this is like a miracle that's been bestowed upon her from the seer because yeah. you think about the religion is called fears and she can see into the future and the sleeper must have bestowed this to her so i think it sets up a super interesting arc for her for the rest of the rest of the season and probably in the season two where she's trying to grapple with or, or is this ability i have something that um is coming from my brain and coming from science and mathematics or is this something yeah. that is like a religious gift from somebody i thought that was no, a really yeah. cool way to end the episode yeah so um i think at this point because uh we do have a rehearsal uh that we have to get uh -huh. to and i gotta travel a little yes. bit so yes. uh what are predictions theories and ideas that you have 
yeah so next episode we're probably going to get to helicon we're going to see helicon for the first time which would be really cool because that's like a, a red dwarf or whatever the missing yep. piece is going to be episode is it it's eight right this is seven yep, episode eight um my my prediction and i think both of our predict i think both of our predictions i don't want to be too bold but i don't think hugo's dead at all <laughs> no god no. i think he's not dead i think hugo's floating and he's either going for the mining base or he's going for an alternate entry on invictus so that he can upload that guy's um yeah. thing to he's gonna essentially do that i think that's 100 percent gonna happen yeah. um in the next in the next episode or the next two episodes i think most likely he's 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 going to another section on the invictus he he lied that his um his little like booster things weren't working and he yeah. just kind of didn't use them and then he's going to use them once they left and to get on the invictus he's going to upload that thing and that's what's going to alert the yep. uh cleons that that's coming i think that's 100 yeah, going to happen yeah i think so too i think that's going to happen um one thing we didn't talk about um is harry's thing was to have uh gail on uh terminus race mm -hmm. and race was going to be with him on the ship in halcyon and he was going to be dead regardless yeah so we got to see more of like what race's role is and it leads us to that uh one thing that uh Salvador said was that harry never predicted her and I right. think what she is is what um, Gail is, was supposed to be, where she could kind of see the future. She could kind of lead the Terminus team. And I, I love the fact that even though he wasn't predicted, but it still happened. So that was really yeah. cool. Um, true, true. Yeah. So I really do enjoy that. I think we're going to get more into, like, Gail's power and the Invictus, like, where that's going. Like, the missing piece is going to be something that is important to connect everything together. Mm -hmm. uh, for the next episode because i noticed that each episode has a certain thing like death and the maiden that dealt a lot upon the uh, luminous and how the maiden's viewed in society and how death kind of ties into religion upon awakening is when we got to see more of brother don being more of himself being more open to who he truly is mm -hmm. so it's it's a unique thing that that they've done and in the future i i know that invictus hugo's probably gonna do something to save the day yeah um so i'm gonna learn more about Farah. and honestly i think that invictus is still gonna blow up terminus not terminus um uh, it's gonna blow up trantor but i don't think it's gonna be as severe as they hope it is i think they're gonna just miss it and just kind of like crash into the planet possibly yeah um the other big uh the other big prediction that i have that I, i'm going to be bold and make here is um again i talked about Chekhov's gun with the tanks yeah um one they're getting used they show them they're obviously getting used which means one of two things is going to happen um brother day is going to die or brother dawn's going to die and yeah. i think it's going to happen before the end of the season my money is on brother dawn i think what's going to happen is that they are going to plan his escape and they're going to we're going to find out that Azura has been working with Dusk because Dusk is, has something on her family or something along those lines. Um, we've already seen that Dusk has deployed spies on Dawn and that he's already tried to pay off one concubine with Dawn to get information. There's no reason why Dusk would not be using any uh, kind of nefarious tools at his disposal to try to get Azura to flip on Brother Dawn in this instance and give him the yeah. information he wants and kill him afterward. I think that's most likely what's going to happen. We're going to think they're making an escape. Brother Dawn's going to, Brother Dusk is going to find him or something and is going to kill him. And it's going to be his very tragic end for Brother Dawn. The other option though, if that doesn't happen, is it's very possible that Brother Day does not survive this uh, spirit walk yeah. that he's going to go on. 
And that would be a really interesting thing to do too. So I, I kind of wish, I kind of want that one to happen because that would be the more unexpected turn because he would die trying to do the spirit walk that he hubristically like said, oh yeah, I can do this. It's not a big deal. And he, he goes and he dies doing it. It cements in all of the followers mind that he doesn't have a soul and that he's not one with the maiden. Yep. And then the, and then the new day has to come out of that uh, tank and take over that mess. Uh, of of like the entire galaxy thinking that he doesn't have a soul because he didn't survive this spirit walk. I think that would be really interesting as well. But those are my yeah. two big predictions uh, okay. for next yeah. episode. I, so yeah, I feel it. I think I think that pretty much wraps up this one. I had a really great time with this episode, yeah. guys. I hope you had a good time with the discussion here. Um, we are going to be back uh, next Friday. We're going to go back to our normally scheduled time around six thirty p.m. and we're going to uh, do yeah. this live um, again. So. Uh, I appreciate you guys watching with us here. Um, do you have anything that you're working on? Any kind of um, any articles or anything you want to promo? Uh, not right now. Just uh, because of the wedding, I just took a hiatus from for this week for any okay. articles and reviews. So that way, I could just do that. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I've got. We've got a. We've got a wedding to go to this weekend. Yeah. Um, I've got a watch party real quick. Uh, right now, it's a tie between uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory and Enter the Dragon. Um, so. Uh, we're going to be watching that Monday, guys, so this should be out before then. If you guys want to hang out and watch one of those movies, uh, make sure to uh, check the link in the description below if you're watching on YouTube, or you can uh, always go to um, youtube.com slash the distracts. We're going to be watching that. But that's going to do it for us here, guys. Uh, triple blessings to you all. What is it? Triple blessings to you all. Triple blessings. Res respect and enjoy the dim. peace. Yeah, respect yeah. and enjoy the peace, and may the light never dim, guys. We will see you next week. See you next week, guys. Uh,